For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. So this evening's talk is inspired by a talk I saw online by uh, a uh, Potawatomi teacher, who's also a scientist, named Robin Wall Kimmerer, who wrote a wonderful book called Braided Sweetgrass. Uh, Probably some of you have read Gyoshin. Yeah. I've quoted it many times in my Yes. It's a wonderful book, which I just started. But uh, in her talk that I saw, she uh, sort of challenged us. Uh, she was talking about how we feel, how we are separated from the natural world, from the natural landscape, and how we need stories that help us reconnect and restore our connection uh, with, a deep connection with the natural world. Our relationship to the land is broken. We need uh, to restore it and to restore it. So uh, that got me thinking about stories. So I'm going to tell, and I have to apologize, I'm going to tell four stories tonight. I've tried to get to four stories tonight, and uh, each of them I've talked about many times. Each of them could be a whole session or a whole practice period, but I'm just going to mention them. Um, a couple of them are from a, a koan collection uh, that we use in Soto Zen called the Book of Serenity, with cases and verses by Hongzha, who was a great teacher in China a century before Dogen and brought, it, brought this tradition to Japan in the 1200s. The first story is about uh, building temples. So it's very pertinent to us here at Ancient Dragon. And the story is that the world-honored one Shakyamuni was out walking with his assembly and he pointed to the ground and he said, this place, this spot is, is good to build a temple. And Indra, uh, emperor of the gods, who was one of the people in the assembly with Shakyamuni, uh, took a blade of grass and stuck it in the ground and said, the temple is built. And Shakyamuni smiled. So this is case four in the Book of Serenity. And uh, most of you know that we are in the process of, of uh, purchasing or hoping to purchase a building in, in uh, Lincoln Square, North Center, Chicago, for a long-term Suzuki Roshi lineage Soto Zen temple in Chicago. And, the process is moving along, but it's very complicated and intricate. And uh, Dylan Torikoff and David Ray were both here have been extremely instrumental in making this possible. So, you know, to just take a blade of grass and stick it in the ground <laughs> that seems very simple compared to uh, working with uh, mortgage brokers and banks and, and uh, you know all kinds of things nowadays. And yet. Um, in some way, this story is important. Any space or many spaces, when he pointed to one particular space, place and said, this is a good spot. So how do we find good places to build temples in our world today? So uh, this is a story about how there are many such places and how we are connected to the land and we are connected to all the blades of grass. And there, each of these stories has a whole lot to it. 
Uh, I'm going to read Monge's uh, verse commentary to this case that he picked. And there's actually just one line that I want to talk about, but I'll read the whole verse. The boundless spring on the hundred plants, picking up what comes to hand. He uses it knowingly. The 16-foot-tall golden body, that's Buddha, a collection of virtuous qualities, casually leads him by the hand into the red dust. So how do we honor the red dust of this world? Able to be master in the dusts, from outside creation a guest shows up. Everywhere life is sufficient in its way, no matter if one is not as clever as others. So everywhere, 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 life is sufficient in its way. Our planet provides birdsong, provides trees, it provides grasses. It's also today providing kind of corrosive air that we can feel from the forests burning down in, up in Canada. So Hong just says, from outside creation, a guest shows up. Is a new temple a guest? Is a blade of grass a guest? How do we welcome guests? How do we welcome that which is not what we expect? Not what we've invited? How do we welcome change? How do we welcome uh, and appreciate all the guests that show up, all the unexpected realities of our land and our world. So, everywhere is sufficient in its way, and yet we point to a particular spot and say, this is a good place for a temple. So, this is a simple and intricate process. How do we appreciate the land? How do we appreciate all the guests who show up? So that's one story. So I'm, again, I'm going to tell four stories and I'm going to invite you to also add stories that point us back to appreciating the world we live in, to appreciating the world of nature, to appreciating all the guests. Birds singing around us, the lakes and rivers and prairies, and taking care of them. So part of this showing up is how do we take care of new temples? So that's one story. And again, I'm just I'm going through the, each of these stories we could talk about for months, but this, the next story is about a great a Chinese teacher named Yunyan, who was the teacher of Dongshan, the founder of Zhaodong or Soto Zen in China in the 800s. And this is a story that uh, many of you have heard me talk about many times before, but uh, the story is uh, Book of Serenity, Case 21. Yunyan sweeps the ground. So Yunyan was doing what um, Stand monks and temple residents do. We do it Sunday morning. We clean the temple. We take care of the space. So Yunyan was sweeping the ground. And his brother monk Dawu, who happened to be his brother, uh, walked by and saw Yunyan sweeping away and said, Too busy. And Yunyan said, you should know there's one who's not busy. So just that line is worth remembering, worth repeating, worth sitting with. You should know there's one who's not busy. And who sits us and just to reconnect with the one who's not busy. Even though we live in a busy world, 
where many of us are multitasking and taking care of all kinds of different things. And yet, how do we know? There's one who's not busy. This is not separate from talking about appreciating the world of nature, appreciating our space and our place in this land and on this planet. So Yun-Yan said, you should know there's one who's not busy. And Yun-Yan said, you mean there's two moons? And uh, Dao said, you mean there's two moons, his brother challenged him. And Yun-Yan held out his broom and said, which moon is this? This is a wonderful story. You should know there's one who's not busy. Does that mean there are two moons? Does that mean there are two realities? Does that mean there's the world where we sit quietly in Zazen and then there's busy world out there where we're running around, going to work, dealing with all the different things, listening to the planes passing by? Are there two moons? Are there two separate realities? one that's not busy, ultimate reality, and then the particulars, the phenomenal reality where we are busy. And Yunyan didn't didn't take us out either side. He just said, which one is this? How do we ask the land? Are you a story that separates us from you? Or are you a story that nourishes us? How do we take care of stories? How do we take care of our place in the world? You should know there's one who's not busy. But are we making a separation when we know that? Are we saying there's two realities or there's a Buddhist teaching of two truths, but Our school is about integrating those two. How do we bring our deep awareness that may arise during Zaza into all of the everyday stuff, trying to purchase a temple, trying to get someplace on time, trying to um, take care of our place in the world. So this is a great story, and uh, I would love it if any of you have questions about these stories or comments, so we can do that in discussion, or you can bring up other stories. The third story I want to mention in response to Robin Moore-Kimura's challenge, how do we find stories that reconnect us to the land and the landscape, is about the land and the landscape, And it's not exactly a Zen story, but it's not exactly not a Zen story. So in, for example, in his Mountains and Water Sutra, Dogen, our great 13th century founder, talked about mountains walking, green mountains walking. He talks various places about trees and lakes and and how do we see them and are we separate from them and do we imagine that we know what this place is where we inhabit so if we go over to Lake Michigan do we see this lake as water or do we recognize that fish see it as air and the dragons see it as great pavilions. How do we see the world around us? So these are sto- these stories are stories about how we appreciate the land and the world and our, and our world. So um, I'll mention a couple more books. There's a book called Richard, uh, called The Overstory by Richard Powers, that I'm sure Yoshin has also read. And it's about um, how forests are alive and intelligent. 
and there's a and there's a, um, a scientist named Suzanne Samar who's written another book called Finding the Mother Tree, Discovering the Wisdom of the of the Forest. And I haven't started reading that book, but I saw her give it. I saw a TED talk that she gave, and the bottom line, the underworld, the undergrowth, the connectedness, is that. Under forests, there's this mycorrhizal network of fungus that connects trees. So we think forests, a forest as dimensional, we think of forests as separate trees. But actually, forest is, a, is a, an intelligent living biosystem. It's an intelligent, sentient being. Because it turns out that through this network, through this mycorrhizal undergrowth under the ground, we only see the things that are above the ground. We don't look at what's under the ground usually. But under the ground, there's this network of mycorrhizal strands going every which way, and trees communicate with each other. They warn each other of dangers. And it's not just trees of the same species. Trees will warn other trees. And they also share nutrition and nutrients. And Susan Samar calls it, talks about mother trees, that, that, that in this intricate network web of mycorrhizal tendrils, there are hubs. There are trees that are hubs. There are trees that are she says, mother trees, where this communication network connects, and it turns out, and she's done scientific experiments that, that prove this, that demonstrate this, that, and this is old news to some of you, but anyway, um, these, these mother trees actually pay attention to their offspring, other trees in the forest. They can come about through, through their growth and nourish them, communicate. So we think of a forest as a bunch of trees that we can clear cut and get and use the wood to build all the stuff that we want from it. But actually, forests are living networks, intelligent networks, intelligent beings who take care of each other take care of all the different parts of the forest and share information, share nutrients. So this very much supports the kind of talking that Dogen did about how the world is alive. So again, this is the story that uh, helps us see the world as alive and helps us reconnect to the land and see that the land and the trees and the forests and the grasses and the birds are all alive, living together. But we are just a product of them. So the fourth story that I quickly remembered after hearing this challenge from uh, this wonderful Potawatomi teacher, Robert Paul Kimmerer, is a story from the Lotus Sutra, one of our Bodhisattva scriptures that Dogen spoke about a lot. And some of you have heard me talk about this story often. But Shakyamuni Buddha, about halfway through the sutra, well, up until then, he's been asking the, all the bodhisattvas who are coming to listen to him, which of you, who of you will come and keep this sutra alive, keep this teaching, keep this practice alive in the distant future evil age? And people have forgotten they're connected to the land. And at some point, some of the bodhisattvas who've come from a, a very distant world system said, said, oh yeah, we'll come back, we'll come here and, and, and uh, teach this sutra and teach this practice and 
and help support bodhisattvas in that future distant evil age, which I kind of identify with our time. But many uh, Mahayana practitioners have identified with their time. Nichiren, who lived in Dogen's time, thought that he was in the future evil age anyway. So Shakyamuni then turns to these bodhisattvas who were offering to come, and he says, well, you know, you don't really need to. And again, he points to the ground. He doesn't say this is a good spot for a temple. He points to the ground, and from out of, of the ground, from out of the, it says, from the open space under the ground, under the earth, spring forth thousands and thousands and millions of bodhisattvas, great bodhisattvas, wise, ancient, skilled bodhisattvas who have been waiting in the earth, in the ground, in our ground, to come forth and help keep alive this way of caring for each other and caring for the world and caring for the land going beyond all the politicians calling for cruelty. Speaking of caring and taking care of each other. So this is clearly a story that uh, speaks to Robin Kimmerer's call for stories that reconnect us to the ground, to the land, to our planet, to the world, to nature. So those are examples of several stories that uh, help us see how the world is alive, how the world is not just alive, but is supporting us in our practice, is supporting the whole world in, our, in, in practice, not just human beings. We can get very arrogant and think that human beings are the crown of creation, but actually the whole thing is alive as these indigenous teachers show us, and as these scientists, foresters show us. So, and, and as uh, are indicated in some of these ancient Bodhisattva stories. So, how do we tell stories? How do we spread stories of good news? of all the possibilities there are on this planet, even with all of the damage that we know about that is happening. How do we see the underlying possibilities, the underlying values, the underlying caring, support, that is part of the nature of nature, that is how the world is, beyond cable news stations. So, um, I gave a brief summary of four stories that are all very uh, deep and intricate and we could talk about a lot more. So, but I want to invite you, if you have stories to tell that show us how we are deeply connected to the world, or questions or comments about any of these stories, uh, please feel free. Gyoshin, hi. Can't resist, of course. Please, please, please. <laughs> Don't resist. Don't resist. No. Come forth. Um, well, the first thing I would say about Robin Wall Kimmerer, um, her first book was called Gathering Moss, and she was the only writer I can think of that is such a compelling writer that a book about moss could get on the bestseller, the New York Times bestseller list. Um, but she almost did not get into graduate school. She, she's a botanist. She's a published academic botanist. Uh, but she almost didn't get into graduate school because in her interview, she uh, shocked and insulted the uh, old white man who was interviewing her by talking about beauty. Mm. And he <laughs> dressed her down famously for bringing up <laughs> such a, a uh, insulting to an academic, to his academic worldview concept. 
and it took some doing us to get the exact way it got resolved. But so here's a good news story. In my last Dharma talk, uh, I was talking about my bird migration. So now the migration for spring is kind of over, and now we're looking at nesting birds. And so this week I visited three healing places that are recently uh, being taken care of by people that had formerly, one is the U.S. Steelworks way on the far south side, which is now on a uh, big 70 acres and so on by the Chicago Park District. One is a horse farm in Barrington, 400 acres. Um, and one is a former forest preserve that just wasn't taken care of and now is being taken care of. All of them are full of happily nesting grassland birds, which are among the most uh, endangered uh, uh, suite of creatures because they haven't had open grassland habitat because it's all been turned to corn and soybeans in our state, the prairie state. So that's been a wonderful, positive um, uh, experience for me and uh, very uplifting that we can take uh, the, the U.S. still work place in, in particular had been, you know, U.S. steel, so it's all slag. And then they dumped uh, uh, the dredgings from Lake Peoria. They trucked it up here and dumped that on. <laughs> so we really, we abuse it about as much as we can abuse a piece of land. And now it's full of bobolinks and hens and sparrows and grasshoppers. So anyway, it's very uplifting and fun. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gershon. Mm -hmm. And now Gershon that works at restoring prairies, restoring wetlands. And that story about U.S. Steel reminds me of beating swords into plowshares. Yeah. Or beating swords into, into prairies and nesting lands. So wonderful example of a story. All of the many things that are that are happening that are encouraging. To life. Uh, very important. Other stories or comments on, on some of the stories that uh, that that uh, I mentioned. Dylan, I have a, a story and a question. Um, so the story is: uh, I saw this video a couple days ago from this account that I follow called Wisdom Keepers. And I don't, I don't know this person's name, but he was talking about um, the human relationship to trees. And he, he talked about getting, going to get permission from the tree. Uh, and he said like when, so he's a, he's a, he makes canoes. Uh, or at least in the example, he was talking about making canoes. He said, you know, I, have, I go to the tree, the tree spirit, and I, and I tell her, like, I'm, I'm going to cut down one of your children. And the reason why is that I'm going to make this canoe that's going to help probably 40 or 50 people. And I think that's a fair trade. Um, and, and like having a, like a, a, a conversation with a tree uh, before something like that happens, uh, which I think e even in the act of like cutting the tree down, to me it feels like a, re a story that reconnects because it's about taking responsibility for the relationship between human beings, uh, of human beings with the earth. And he also talked about Making a making an offering of some kind during that uh, that that exchange, saying like I'm going to make this canoe and I'd like to you know a little bit later on come back and bring some seeds with me and plant some no, some new trees so that you'll have new kids and I feel I feel good that that's a fair trade and that'll be good for the future and that having that actual conversation with the tree is like the way to is a way to um, uh, make make that relationship uh, explicit, you know, of, of what's what's happening, and uh, and I was really struck by that 
Tennyson felt make me feel connected to uh, to the earth. So that's a story. It's a great story. Yeah, yeah. Norman Wilkinwer talks about talking to trees a <laughs> lot. And yes, that's part of the native way of this land. Yes, and you had a question. Though. And my question is about the um, the which moon is this question, and uh, I wonder if. It's it's always both or neither, but that you can one one side of it can be more visible depending on you know the circumstances that day or what what you're seeing. Um, uh, I guess it just it feels it feels like a trap to answer it being one or the other necessarily. Um, I don't think he actually answers the question, right? Like the, the koan ends with him asking, which moon is this? And that's the end of the koan. That's, yes, yeah. it's a question. And maybe there are lots of answers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's this teaching of two truths in Buddhism, but there's also this teaching of the of Atamsaka fourfold Dharma Dhatu, the relationship between the one who's not busy and practicing in the world. So we're a lay sangha practicing in Chicago. We're not a residential uh, sangha. It's not yet. And um, yeah, how do we integrate? The point isn't to pick one or the other. That's why it's a brilliant story because there's a question. Mm -hmm. So are, is it just one moon? Are there two moons? Uh, there's a com in the commentary to this to the story. It says, Manchester uh, says there are many moons. So, uh, the particular planet we're living on, we only have one moon, but there are other planets right in our our own solar system that have several moons. Uh, it's a question. So if we try and get, if we get stuck on a particular answer, that's um, that's avoiding reality. If we insist on, oh, it's the moon of the ultimate universal, not busy, or it's the moon of taking care of all the stuff in the world, neither is is the moon. How do we live with question? How do we look at the complexity of reality? How do we see that the trees are talking to each other? So which means this? Yeah. So uh, I hope you don't think that's an answer to your question. No, it makes me like it, it makes me think that that you know our practice is is about. Uh, being a question that there's that that there's um, that that's uh, there's there's a a, a spring uh, a a, re, a a launching pad or for action in some way um, that is the the actual um, way of living, whereas like having an answer. Uh, doesn't uh, doesn't resolve anything because if, if we hold on to an answer that kills the whole. Right. If we're living in a question, then it's alive. Yeah. And there are different possibilities. Do you have another comment, Yeshi? No. Well, I see Patrick is online. Uh, I don't know if you can hear me, Patrick. I don't see your picture, but I see that you're there. And Patrick is a member of our Sangha who works for the Environmental Protection Agency. So, Patrick, do you have any stories about protecting the environment? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Um, thank you for the offer. Um, I. 
trying to think of a story. Um, but, um, it's a uh, complicated <laughs> um the um one um thing to avoid there that i i try to avoid when it comes to stories and in, in my work is only listening to my stories mm. um one thing uh just a little more background. I work in enforcement, so I do inspections, and then I, uh, if there are violations, uh, we I send letters, and there's penalties, and coming up with settlements with uh, companies, and it's very easy to fall into an adversarial story. Um, And that that causes a lot of problems. And so trying to um, stay open and positive, um, maybe not positive, but trying to stay open. I've had companies uh, come in and um, in the case of one on the south side of Chicago, um, the company came in and said, we're actually no longer going to handle this product anymore. Um, and that was the cause of all the violations. And we don't usually um, propose that kind of action. And so for the company to come to us and say, oh, yeah, that, that product um, that's causing all these problems, we're actually just going to avoid it and get rid of it and no longer handle it and it was shocking um i've never had a company essentially do the right thing <laughs> so that sounds like a success story it is it is a success story um but uh in the sense that the the company took it on themselves to do it without without any of our with our involvement but without our suggesting that route as the only option. Um, so it's, it's interesting um, trying to stay open and not uh, judgmental or pre-determining um, or sort of boxing in companies uh, is challenging though. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's like, that's like Yun Yan's question. It's not setting up an answer to impose on the situation. It's opening up possibilities. So thank you. Other comments or stories about how we can connect with nature, with our world, with the liveliness of our world. Or questions about any of the stories that Bo, do you have any stories of your grade school students and how they connect to the world? Hmm. Um, well, last year, what comes to mind is last year, um, this was a year ago, um, you know, when the Ukraine war first started and in the spring, you know, it was very much on the kids' minds, especially with like their, you know, knowledge of Russia and knowing that Russia was this, generally they know that Russia is like a nuclear power so i think they were pretty worried that like that could happen um so you know i can't remember if it was a teacher or if we saw somewhere that other students were doing this or if it was a student but 
it was suggested that we go plant um, sunflowers in our garden. You know, we have little garden spaces around the school. And so we did that. At first, actually, the kids suggested that we go around the school picking up trash and stuff. So we did that. That's good. Yeah, that was really good. They enjoyed that. Like, because we had those like little pincher things. And so they were really, they loved that. Um, <laughs> and, but then we planted these sunflowers and they, and we did it toward the end of the year. So when we came back in the fall of last year, they were like massive. Wow. And, you know, of course, like, you know, they went away during the winter, but then I ran into like a parent who's runs the cart, like the gardening club. And she said like, now they've come back again. And like, they're one of the more persistent and resilient like plants in the school's garden. So, um, yeah, I, I, like, you know, anytime the kids can get outside, they just, I, I wish there was more opportunity, honestly, because, um, but yeah, they, they love it for sure. Yeah. Planting trees and planting yeah. flowers, um, uh, is, uh, certainly an action that, that, uh, connects us to, the life of the world. Yeah. And I, actually, I wanted to give a big shout out. <laughs> I, I've been thinking a lot about Lake Michigan lately. Uh, and, you know, during the summer, I have an opportunity to kind of like be outside a lot more. And, and I've been like taking bike rides along the lake. And, you know, I just, I, I don't know if we as citizens, I'm speaking for myself, I don't know that I appreciate like sort of the vastness of it and the um, the power of it, but also the, its ability to give joy. That's so apparent in like being outside in the summer, like just the sheer amount of activity and happiness that it engenders, you know, being at the beach and watching kids and people like run into the water it's pretty rare that anybody's going into the water and like you know like frowning like everybody's laughing and smiling and stuff and and so i just i appreciate also there's kind of a funny relationship with the lake where you like it's cold and it's like kind of foreboding and i think that's kind of healthy to have both um but we have this massive like parkway along the lake and the lake itself so i just I really appreciate just Chicago's particular um, circumstance in that way, you know, and the happiness that that and and uh, that the lake provides for the people of the city, you know, and just to like continue to notice that and uh, pay attention. Thank you, thank you for celebrating a great lake. <laughs> So, um, When you walk in and bow to the chrysalis, if you see 
an adult butterfly in there, um, if it's daytime and it's not raining, you should take it out to the yard and, and let it fly away. If it's nighttime and or in or raining, uh, don't do that, but let me know and someone will come and let it go at the appropriate time. It should be released when the sun is shining. So anything can be fine in there for you know a day or so. We're in a drought, so it's probably not pretty mm. Anyway, it's a lovely um, experience for all of us. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you. Will someone be checking it between now and next Sunday? Yeah, I'll check it. I think she also has some neighbors checking. Thank you, Kim, mm -hmm. for taking care of that and for relating that to us. And for people who don't know, there are 12 regular members of our Sangha, who uh, many of whom will be here tonight, except they're in Tassajara Monastery, way back in the mountains, um, east of Big Sur in Monterey County, California, and uh, which is a lovely, wonderful place that Lots of nature. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, lots of nature everywhere. Many places are a good spot for a temple, fortunately. So it's about time to wind down. Unless anybody else has something they would like to say? Anyone? Okay, we'll close with the four bodhisattva vows, and then I'll have an essence. Beings are numberless, we now to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, we now to live through them. Dharma gates are boundless, we now to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. We vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. We vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. We vow to cut through them. Dharma gates are boundless. We vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. We vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. We vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. We vow to cut through them. Gates are boundless. We vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. We vow to realize it. Thank you all. So I have some announcements. And first, I want to thank you, uh, Gyoshima. I wanted to mention beauty and beauty and science. And there's no reason why beauty can't emerge from science and vice versa. So I appreciate that story about Robin Walkinger. Uh, so uh, upcoming events. Next Sunday is uh, July 2nd, but it's close to July 4th. So I'll be talking about Interdependence Day and uh, the state of our, of our uh, society in terms of uh, uh, liberty and the pursuit of happiness and uh, various aspects of that. A week from tonight, next Monday, Coke Carol Larson from Cleveland, just a board member, will be speaking. Uh, Sunday, the 9th of July, Paul Disco, who is our architect and consultant for our new temple, will be here in Chicago and will be speaking here. So that's July 9th. Um, another guest speaker next month is Brooks Zipporin. Is a University of Chicago professor and one of the country's foremost scholars of Chinese Buddhism. He's spoken here before. Um, and uh, Monday evenings this coming month, Douglas and Kathy Bingham and Sophia will be speaking. And I'll just mention in August, August 13th, 
another Suzuki uh, Roshi lineage teacher will be speaking online, Peter Coyote, who's also a noted film actor, but is also a Zen teacher. Um, so, and, and the other announcement is that there's the people here uh, in, in Lincoln's Presenda, we will have tea and treats in the kitchen right after this. Any other announcements of any kind? Question. Yes. Is there a garden at the new building? Uh, we're hoping that eventually we'll have a roof garden, but that's going to be a, a ways away. There's the back space, there's a very small space behind the building. The building is so we've been working at acquiring this building. It's not done yet, but it's in a great location. The building is basically in very good shape although the roof is going to need some work. Um, but it's a little small, smaller than we talked for. So it's a long-term project, and eventually we will be uh, expanding the temple into the second floor, which is now a res residential unit. So uh, anyway, it's a long-term project. And it's, there's, so there's not a garden now or in the near future. It is just half a block from the big park on Montrose and yeah, so it's just a, it's just a, a couple doors up down from that. Other questions or or, or announcements? Okay, thank you all very much. Please uh, treasure stories of of uh, the world coming to life uh, because it, it does. So thank you all. Mm -hmm.